everyone. This is the Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that the Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale the nine book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com, under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. I would also like to recommend Stitcher Premium if you're a fan of podcasts. If you like true crime or crime fiction, there are loads of podcasts out there for you. And with Stitcher Premium, you can listen to the exclusive archives from Criminology or bonus episodes from True Crime Garage. You can also listen ad-free to episodes of your favorite podcasts. I've subscribed, and for only $4.99 a month, it's nice to have ad-free entertainment. Just go to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code CRIMECAFE, that's one word, all caps, to try it out. Absolutely free for a month. Hi, everyone. Today's guest has a most interesting background. A native of Switzerland, he's traveled widely. While living in the southern U.S., uh, he earned undergraduate and graduate degrees in molecular biology, two law degrees, got his pilot's license, and scuba instructor license. So I guess you could say he keeps busy. His fiction reflects much of his travel experience and his extensive research, both historical and journalistic. In addition to writing mysteries and thrillers, he's one of the country's preeminent technology lawyers. Interesting. It's a great pleasure to introduce my guest, A.C. Frieden. Hi, Andre. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to, to, to join your podcast. I'm delighted. Um, and uh, as a fellow lawyer, it's always uh, a pleasure as well to, uh, to chat. Uh, I think all our legal experience ends up creeping into our books in one way or another. Isn't that the truth? Um, I'm always amazed when practicing lawyers find the time and energy to write fiction. How do you balance your various obligations? I, I would say that um, I, I balance it well, although I think uh, pretty much everyone around me and my family would probably disagree with me. Um, but it is a, a, you know, a time management uh, challenge. Um, you write when you can. Uh, sometimes ideas come to your head and you have to write them down in some way quickly or they'll leave. So um, it's, uh, it's something that you, you learn to, to do it. It's never perfect. Um, but at the end of the day, the drive is to get the book out. Uh, and I think that keeps you focused. Yeah, I think that's a lot of truth in that, in what you're saying. I think that's great uh, thoughts there. Um, I absolutely agree. Getting things down when you think about them, or if they're important, they'll stay there and you get them down. You know what I mean? It's like sometimes you have all these yeah. ideas, but one will kind of fixate itself in your mind. Get it down. And don't worry about it being perfect. 
<laughs> yeah, and the, and the thing is, you know, you can you can think of a schedule, you can think of you can outline as much as you want, but um, you have to leave your mind open to things that pop up, you know, as you're writing uh, your story. So things change, no matter how much planning you do ahead of time, uh, whether it's plot or character issues, uh, things will come up. You know, or or your editor. The worst case is your editor finds something wrong, and you've got to do a lot of fixing. So that that can happen too. Yeah. Well, you do. I agree with you completely on all of that. Um, how many hours would you estimate you spend on research for a book versus writing it? Well, I put research really into two buckets. So first, there is, um, you know, obviously the the online part of the research. Uh, to, you know, everything from looking at the history of a particular site that you're going to use uh, or finding, um, you know, details about a fictional character that you obviously want to be as real as possible. So the the challenge is, you know, spending the hours uh, online to do that research. And then for for me, and I think one of the things that makes my research um, um, fun and exciting is the the travel component to actually see and feel and smell and experience um, you know the surroundings of a place that I'm actually going to put in the book. So that to me is very important. <clears throat> there are very few places uh, in in settings in my books that I haven't visited firsthand. Uh, so that that is part of the excitement. Whether I visited it a long time ago or I traveled just to, to uh, examine a particular site. Um, these things make it fun, and I try to combine it with uh, meeting some locals. Now, whether it's a journalist or government official or something, I try to combine that as well. So that, that's how I, I, I look at my research, is really these two buckets. And together, they come together to make it you know, as realistic as possible. In many ways, you can, you can travel with my books. Um, I am... Uh, a stickler for accuracy. If something is 15 meters away, it's going to be 15 meters away in my book. Uh, I, I don't bend bend the facts uh, on the ground to fit my story. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Um, according to your bio, you started writing short stories, poems, and diaries of your travels. Is that how you got started as a writer? Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a master plan other than, you know, finishing law school and starting to work. Um, but, you know, during during law school, I traveled, I, I studied abroad. I studied in Moscow. Uh, and, you know, given the, the uh, incredible history that uh, Moscow offers, um, as well as from a, you know, a Cold War setting, uh, I found it interesting just to do research while I was there. And, um, you know, with no purpose in mind, with no idea that I would eventually publish, um, you know, espionage thrillers. But, you know, I, I, I documented these travels, a lot of details. Um, I had fun writing poems about them. So in time, I had this, you know, stack of materials that ended up, you know, finding the right purpose and to, to write my novels. I was going to ask you if your um, 
traveling inspired your writing or your interest in current events and history inspired your travel. But it sounds to me like you simply take life experiences, take advantage of opportunities while you're in a place, and then it becomes part of your writing. Would that be about right? That's mostly true. There are very few times where I have traveled specifically for, uh, for research on a given book. Um, I, I have really gone, um, you know, to all corners of the world, mostly out of my own curiosity uh, to understand um, different cultures, different systems, um, to see the worst and the best that the rest of the world has to offer. Uh, so I think that's been the driver. But, you know, it all comes full circle um, in the way that I am able to embody those experiences into my novels. So, so my goal isn't just to entertain with my books. It's also to inform, to see a different opinion. So, um, you know, whether I'm, I'm setting a scene for a, a Russian spy, um, I, want to, I want the reader to really feel what that Russian spy is feeling, uh, his history, the reason he is doing what he's doing. Uh, so I try not to stay with stereotypes because I think once you see this diverse landscape of opinions and, and motivations around the world, um, the stereotypes don't, don't do that justice. So that's what I try to do is, is really show the different perspectives and teach people who read my books, you know, in addition to having fun, of course. Yes, that part is important, but all of that is great and your uh, impetus for traveling is just like mine i wish i could do that kind of travel more often that's fantastic um so let's talk about your books your first novel was called canvas sunsets never fade correct that's correct um it's a it mystery was, it was a mystery standalone not part of a series it was really my first attempt um at um at publishing um a mystery not so much a thriller. There are some thriller elements in there, but it's mostly a mystery, and it's rooted into in you know the the uh, everlasting debate about nuclear weapons in the Middle East and proliferation. Um, it goes through a journalist as the protagonist, um, and uh, you know also reflects some of the travel that I've done. A lot of it is set in uh, in Mexico, uh, in Washington D.C. So. Uh, that was my my first um, uh, book, my first publication, uh, and it, you know, it propelled me into the industry. It was still I was not fully committed to to being um, a, a crime fiction author at that time, um, but I think um, spending all that time really understanding, um, you know, everything that goes into to writing. Um, and also at the time I was taking uh, fiction writing courses at Columbia College here in Chicago uh, with some amazing mentors. Um, so uh, many of whom have, have really excelled in, in their profession, um, in their fiction writing. So I think all that motivated me to continue. And that's where I, I started with a clean slate uh, with the Jonathan Brooks series, um, of which the, the third one, the Pyongyang Option, uh, came out recently, and the next one is coming out in May, uh, called Letter from Istanbul. 
Mm-hmm. I have to say about that series, the um, I thought you, it was interesting that you chose a quote, hotshot maritime lawyer as your protagonist, unquote, as your protagonist. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought hotshot maritime lawyer doesn't seem, they, they don't seem to go together somehow. Yeah, it's like, it's mean, like unusual, which of course intrigues the hell out of me. <laughs> I think it's wonderful, unique and, um, you know, arcane <laughs> even. I mean, who, who ever dreams of becoming a maritime lawyer in the first place, right? And, exactly. Um, so, and how did I you never, choose? Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you, I never considered becoming a maritime lawyer either. Uh, but I met many um, maritime lawyers uh, over the years, especially in New Orleans, where you know that's that's a pretty established uh, profession, um, given the the commercial port there. Um, so I, I thought it was unusual, um, but um, I could make it work, particularly because the home base of this protagonist is is New Orleans, which frankly is one of the most fascinating cities um, I've, I've ever visited. Uh, and I lived there three years through law school. So I, I really wanted to somehow, you know, pay back the, 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 the gratitude that I feel for that city and how it changed my life. Um, by putting it in, you know, as the main setting of, uh, of this series, or at least the base uh, for this series. So the character, I think, fits very well with um, many of the lawyers I know in, in New Orleans, uh, in personality and history and, um, you know, in their love-hate relationship with, with the city. Uh, so it's a, it's a good anchor for, for the series. Of course, the stories take place in in many other interesting locations, but um, but I, I've I've enjoyed keeping the um, keeping it rooted in New Orleans in some way. Well, it is a fascinating city, and I've always wanted to visit it, not during Mardi Gras, so I can see the real city. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. In, in fact, many people during Mardi Gras leave New Orleans and they come back after it's cleaned up, so. <laughs> I wouldn't mind going during both, just to get a sense of the contrast, but. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but it would be great to visit there because I've always been sort of fascinated by Louisiana and, and mm-hmm. New Orleans, given the French connection, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> yeah. And and also the Spanish history. I think mm-hmm. uh, that's something that's often forgotten is the, um, you know, the Spanish influence uh, in in New Orleans, you know, which in in some ways uh, exceeds the French in- influence in terms of architecture, or at least the the historical buildings that are left. Many many of them are uh, Spanish colonial rather than French. That's really interesting. I didn't uh, realize that. And of course, jazz, the birthplace of jazz. I love that. Um, let's see. Uh, can you give us an idea of how the story arc develops over the course of that series? What happens to the protagonist? <clears throat> so, um, in many ways, he's, of course, a, a lawyer and wants to be successful, grow his practice. Uh, he's not part of a large firm, but has really built his own uh, firm. And through through the series, uh, you also experience the ups and downs of of your of of someone who has their own legal practice, uh, there are days and months where it's very difficult. Um, there are days where it's very successful, 
Um, and, you know, those, those ups and downs and sort of the inner workings of, of, a, of a law firm um, is kind of interesting for, for the non-lawyers. Um, and then, of course, the stories all deal with, um, you know, uh, very dangerous villains. Um, uh, a mix of espionage and legal thrillers is really how the series progresses. So that, that's sort of the, the, the personal challenge um, of this character uh, is important in, in the growth of this story. Um, and, and there are some tragedies that he faces, um, actually, in, in starting from the very first book, huge tragedies. And those propel him to um, seek out justice, not just for his clients, not just for himself, um, but he finds that there's a, 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 a bigger duty for him to, um, to make wrongs right. That's fantastic. I like that. Um, I have to say that I've started reading your first one in that series, and you do a great job in describing the courtroom scenes. <laughs> and I really admire anybody who can do that, because I'm terrible at that sort of thing. I don't do courtroom in my books. I do lawyer, but not courtroom. <laughs> uh, I, I got to tell you, it's terrifying for me, too, because I'm not a litigator. So my, my entire legal career has been uh, as a transactional, uh, a deals lawyer and a regulatory lawyer um, and a, a technology lawyer. So, so for me, it, it requ I require a lot more research um, and a lot more vetting from my litigator friends uh, to make sure that these scenes are, are correct. Um, just like I was never a maritime lawyer. Uh, so it really took me almost a year and a half of extensive reading uh, in maritime law and a lot of conversations with maritime lawyers to, uh, to feel comfortable that I could get it right. Hmm. Yeah, I was not a day-to-day -day litigator at all. I mean, I handled a few things in court, but not very much. So I think that's part of my discomfort but I'm as picky as any lawyer when it comes to depiction of courtroom scenes. And you, you did a great job. You nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> Brought I mean, back it, some, some memories, it, some bad memories. <laughs> <laughs> True. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, before the arcs are produced, you know, I do send the manuscripts to um, probably six or seven of my close legal friends um, you know, and, and the critiques, you know, are important to me because I want to get it right. Uh, so, so I think, you know, perhaps that's one of the flaws of, um, you know, a, a lawyer writing, writing fiction um, in this market is that you are, um, you know, a stickler for accuracy and detail. And I would say that that's probably why my books take longer um, you know, to, to reach the bookshelf than, than other authors, because, you know, we're cursed as lawyers to, uh, to want to, to be accurate, um, and sometimes an overkill of accuracy. So, uh, perhaps that's a good thing, perhaps not. Um, but it's certainly an affliction I can't get rid of. <laughs> I understand the feeling. And, um, what I had to do was learn not to overwrite 
not mm. to explain things the way I wouldn't have breathed. Yes, it's like, exactly. no, you're writing fiction, Debbie. Keep exactly. it a little, you know, dumb it down just a bit. You're not trying to explain this to a judge. This is a story you're telling. Absolutely. You have to, you have yeah. to keep the flow. You have to keep it interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, short sentences tend to work much better <laughs> than the long ones that we put in briefs, um, you know, or in contracts. Um, God forbid we put any contract words. <laughs> oh, my God. In a fiction novel. <laughs> that's another thing. Um, you're, It'll be a cure for insomnia, for sure. <laughs> yeah. If you have trouble getting to sleep, just read my book. <laughs> exactly. It's full of all sorts of jargon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a great pitch. Um, no, it it isn't. And it just, um, the way you depict the scenes without getting jargony create that feeling of tension when he's waiting for a piece of evidence to come in at the last moment mm -hmm. that that was good you know it's like that's the way it should be done you know and and you can do it without being unrealistic that's the thing that gets me so that's why i get picky sometimes with these things you know it's like i know you're trying to create tension here but you could do it better or more realistically this way i think that the one of the challenges for lawyers is that you know you have to keep it entertaining but at the same time i i i can i don't want another lawyer to read my novel and say this no this way happen. Yeah. it's not true impossible uh like you see in episodes of law and order right i mean i think any lawyer watching the these shows are, you know will hit their head on this on, on the wall because these things just don't happen right in reality so that's what I try to do is, is um, you know, keep as much of reality aligned with the entertainment factor uh, without, you know, going overboard in either direction. Good thinking. Um, let's see, you also have a new series coming out that has a former JAG attorney protagonist. Can you tell us about this protagonist and what you plan to do with that series? <laughs> Yeah, it's still very much a, in a development stage, um, but it but it will likely be, just be a trilogy, uh, and it could be a trilogy of just novellas rather than full-length novels. Uh, but it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time, have, have not had the time yet to invest fully in it, um, but it is in, in development. That's great. I think novellas are growing in popularity at this point. Yeah, I mean, people have less time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, less time, and what do you do with that time for entertainment when there are so many uh, different uh, venues from social media to all kinds of, of video and, and gaming? And I mean, we're so distracted and there's so little time to invest uh, that I think novellas are the right approach for the extremely busy individuals. So that's that's something that I'm targeting as well. Um, in addition to you know the full length novels that I have in this series, I think I want to diversify and have a novella option uh, for my readers. I think that's a smart move. Um, do you have any time management or organizing tips you'd like to share? Because seriously, you must be meticulous and organized to be able to do all that you do. I think um, 
you know, f when I chat with other um, crime fiction authors, uh, we we really have, you know, a, a, such a variety of different techniques. Um, and some of us, frankly, are not so organized, and some are very organized. Uh, we also write differently. We we, you know, uh, I tend to write uh, the first four or five chapters, and then I write the ending, and then I fill in the middle. Um, I've only met a few authors who will do it that way. Some write linearly. Uh, some are completely haphazard uh, and then have to do a lot of work at the end to try to put it all together. Uh, so, you know, writing techniques um, and how you, you build the story uh, is a reflection of, you know, how you, you manage your time as well. Uh, so, you know, do you, do you force yourself to write, um, you know, the next chapter that you're supposed to write? Or do you use your gut where your idea fits and you jump into that part of the book where there's no preceding chapter, there's no chapter afterwards, and you just write it down. And later on, you'll find a way to make it match. Uh, so, you know, everyone has a different style and everyone has a different um, time management, um, you know, philosophy. Uh, I think I've found the balance that, that works for me. Um, obviously, my my goal would be to to have at least one book a year, uh, but it's you know that that is uh, so far impossible for me to do as a full time lawyer. Uh, so I I try to stick to an eighteen month target uh, for each book. That's that's really good, actually. I think, especially given the amount of research you do and the amount of detail there is in in your work, how meticulous you are. If you can stick to that schedule, that's, that's excellent. Um, I was going to ask you something else. Oh, who are your favorite writers? As a, um, as a teenager um, and in my 20s, Hemingway was um, quite influential uh, for me. Um, and what happened was, uh, unfortunately, a, a curse with um, with my life before law school, which was as a molecular biologist, um, I ended up really consuming all my time with um, scientific journals uh, and other publications. Uh, so it, 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 it stifled a lot of my ability to, uh, to read fiction. And I think that was the curse also through law school is I ended up spending uh, almost no time reading fiction. So a lot of my, my happy fiction reading years were really in my uh, teens and early 20s. Uh, and then in recent years, I have caught up again, um, in part because, um, you know, I, I, I've met so many talented fiction writers that I try to read some of their works. Um, it's, it, it's difficult to find the time. Um, but in some ways, it's, it has two purposes. One, obviously, uh, it's entertaining and you can uh, chat with, with your um, colleague, um, fellow authors about their stories and help them out as well uh, uh, with blurbs. Um, and then the other thing is also to understand your competition, which I think is, is vital for any author. You know, 
read what's out there. Um, you know, educate yourself in in the styles that others are using, uh, the plots, the character development. Uh, all this is important. Uh, not that it should necessarily influence your work, um, but I think it's important to do this this uh, competitive intelligence um, as an exercise to improve your writing. You know, to make yours more competitive as well. I agree. I learned so much by reading other people's work. I think that was probably about it. Um, is there anything else that you would like to say before we finish up? No, I, I'm one thing about the, the, the Pyongyang option here. Um, so uh, the cover actually is a picture I took uh, while I was in, in Pyongyang. Uh, and this is a, a, a huge marble statue, uh, sorry, not marble, uh, um, copper statue uh, of the first leader um, in, in uh, Kim Il-sung, the first leader of North Korea. And, um, and I think what I tried to do, this is the third book in the series, is again, I, I drive towards uh, both educating the reader about really weird uh, places. So Pyongyang is a weird place. And I was there for six days uh, to research for this book. Uh, it is um, surreal. It is, um, uh, in, in, in many ways, you will never experience that kind of um, surveillance around you, uh, that kind of limitation of activity. Um, but you're still able to to visit the city um, and and tour places um, and see both the things that the the government wants to show you and the things that they want to hide from you. Uh, they can't hide everything. So it was um, you know a surreal experience, and these are the kinds of experiences that I uh, I, I enjoy putting in in the book because um, not many people will um, travel to North Korea. Uh, not many people will travel to uh, the Chernobyl uh, nuclear complex. Um, so I visited that and the abandoned city of Pripyat. So in many ways, that's what my books try to do, is to portray the reality of these really strange places and fit them in the plot, uh, add some real interesting characters, uh, you know, to drive the story forward. That's wonderful. And that's the book you're giving away, correct? That's correct. So I've got uh, two to give away, a $100 Starbucks card to, um, to help with the uh, caffeine addiction, uh, and also a mouse pad uh, with fe featuring pictures that I took on my research trip to North Korea. Fantastic. Well, just look for the, the guest blog post on my uh, blog where he gives you the giveaway details and enter his contest for that. It's fantastic. Thank you very much, Andre. Thanks for being here today. I really, Thanks. really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thanks again for inviting me. Sure thing. It was fun talking. Um, and I'm enjoying your book. Um, I just wanted to add, for all you listeners and watchers on YouTube, um, thanks so much for being here and for listening and watching depending on what you're doing. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review um, on whatever channel you listen to it on. And uh, check out our Patreon page, which is on my website, debbiemack.com. So with that, I'll just say thank you very much 
for listening again. And in two weeks, we will have as my guest, Sandra Woffington. In the meantime, take care and happy reading. Thank you.